it was funny. Well, not funny, like everything, but funny seeing um, like trending on Twitter this week, like Alex Jones and then Pfizer lying and they're not paying a cent, right? Exactly. I mean, who has hurt more people with their lies, Alex Jones or Pfizer? I mean, that's not even close. And they're not, not only are they not getting fined, they're, they're, they're being enriched. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Varca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, and writer and teacher Jessica. Kenny is out for this week. We'll hope to have him next week. Uh, we are online at what-s-left.webno.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes, wherever you found this episode. Uh, you can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Varca and at ZDKE. That's for Instagram and Jessica's Twitter on at jhomie89. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. Uh, so, welcome back, Andy. It's good to be back. And I know I told you this earlier, but I think both of you, that, that's the first episode that I have not been present. Like the first What's Left episode that's been created without me there. So I've never gotten to see a what's left episode without me. And, um, I, I really enjoyed the listening and I editing, <laughs> but also listening to the two of you. Um, I think you did a great job, Jessica and Eduardo. I think the issue is really fascinating. The thing you brought up about the rodeo. Um, I have some thoughts about it, but we got to move on to some other stuff, but it, it was really great to be a what's left listener and, just have it cause me to think about, well, what do I think about these points that these two people are making? Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of our show because whether whoever's here, we can carry on that tradition. Right. And we hope you enjoyed New England with its changing of colors. In the it was crazy. Like it was, the way I would describe it is you, because you know how like the, the Rockies are like these pointed mountains and the, and the Appalachians are kind of these rolling mountains. But when you have these rolling mountains with, with red, orange, purple, green, they look, they make mountains look like a bouquet of flowers because it's all these different colors coming off. And it's like all these, it's like these giant mile-long, multi-mile-long bouquets of flowers. But it's really just trees of different colors. So it's just amazing. And, and these tiny roads you would drive down, that people live like in these places and it's just, you're, you have these archways of color over your head and the colors coming down on you because of the, when the wind makes the leaves come down, it's just ridiculously beautiful. Um, and uh, I'm, I, I've seen it before when I was younger, but I don't think I appreciated it. And I'm, so I'm really glad Brandy, like that was like what she wanted to do before she became 50. So, so it was a lot of fun, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tired now. Like vacations are exhausting. Wait, was yeah, this her fiftieth birthday? I didn't know it was the big fifty. I'm glad you guys yeah. had a good trip and that she had a good birthday. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, so, um, but you know, for the for listeners here today, you're not going to hear the most informed Andy today. Well, I can tell, you, exactly I, I can tell you about the color of. New Hampshire leaves. That's about it. 
if people remember anything that I have shared in a previous episode, I said numerous times, and I'll say it again, I have a special place in my heart for New England, New Hampshire, That's right. Massachusetts, that area. I just, that's just, I remember so many of my memories there when I was just trying to escape uh, uh, the Pacific West and head over to the East Coast. Yeah. Right. Uh, so this episode will be, as you said in the group message, Andy, a grab bag of different topics. Why don't you discuss what you had in mind or what we had discussed in the group? Message? Yeah. Um, so initially, and, and we will do this, um, a person who we've interviewed before, uh, Dea, um, from what's the, what's the group called? How, Eduardo Mission? Latino um, Mothers? Yeah, the Mission Mothers of the Mission District. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, she's part of that. She's part of, uh, and we've interviewed her around organizing with families for reopening schools. We've interviewed her around the collapse of, you know, her school at Everett. Um, and she has been, you know, moving on to, you know, now homeschooling and she's been having some interesting experiences and I've been working with her around that. And so we wanted to, she, she definitely wanted to do the interview, but it was going to be this week, but she can't do it. Um, and, and we may do, we'll probably push it off for a few weeks from now. Cause I think talking about her experience in homeschooling would be really important. Um, so that left us with like, okay, well, what, what should we talk about? And what I am really curious about is all of us, I suspect all of us are paying attention to something in the news or something in the world, culturally, politically, whatever. I know I've got my thing and it's about Ukraine and Russia, United States and NATO and the Nord Stream pipeline and stuff like that. Um, but I'm really curious what what Jessica's kind of, you know, kind of almost hobby is, what she's been looking at and what you've been looking at. And I thought we might just share that here and and see where that conversation takes us. It'll, in some ways, I think it'll just be a grab bag, like you said, of things. But I, I also have some thoughts I want to share about the thing I'm looking at um, and see what you would, how you would respond or what kind of responses I get from you in that and do the same for you. Sure. Why don't, who starts? I think Andy should open because he already told us his topic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so yeah, that's true. Um, so the, in all the stuff we've been like, you know, we've looked at the Biden biotech stuff and everything we've been looking at throughout these last months, I have been keeping my eye on what's been going on in Ukraine. Um, and first I want to say why. Um, and that's because I do believe, I personally feel like I'm watching the, a slow motion World War III play out. And I still remember back in the day when I said that, you know, Russia would not do what they were going to do. And they did it. And Jessica said, well, yeah, World War III. And I was like, I kind of couldn't believe it. But that is really, I, I think it is what I believe was that it's starting, is, is unfolding before us. And so for me, uh, this issue, it feels for me, feels like it could turn the table over on every other issue we're dealing with, you know, even the, di the digital prison shit, you know, like, which I think is awful. But I feel like if this thing really continues to go forward, I feel like it just it just can alter everything about the terrain that we live in. If it actually unfolds in the way that I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it will unfold. And I recognize there's people out there and listeners who think it's a psyop who think that they're both sides are trying to frighten us into that, that you're welcome to think that that's not how I look at it. 
Um, and I think there are psyop opera elements of it, but it's not to me. I do. I, I take very sincerely the idea that these two nuclear powers are prepared to, um, well, they're in this to win and they cannot lose and losing. They will not lose without making the rest of the world lose. And, um, so that's why I pay attention to it. And it's just, I, all the different things that are taking place there as I watch, like, uh, you know, the, the, the people who, who I listen to often are probably more like they, they sound like a pro Russian because they're, they're critical of NATO. They're critical of the United States. They recognize Ukraine is basically being used as a proxy, uh, as a, as a U.S. proxy to fight Russia. And, but and they recognize this, that it's the U.S. versus Russia, it's really, and, and U.S. NATO versus Russia, and maybe even China. But um, they often will talk like, you know, like, oh, uh, well, this is just around the corner. Ukraine's going to collapse and things like that. And it doesn't happen. Like in September, there was a lot of people who were critical of the United States who felt like that the, Russia was inexorably going to push Ukraine kind of off the board and get them to fold. And even people were talking about Zelensky being a coup d'etat taking, taking place because the pressure on the Ukrainian military was building up so much. And then they were talking about how the, uh, the offensive that Ukraine kept on talking about never really materialized. Well, it did and it didn't. They, you, we, of course, we heard from the mainstream media about these offensives and how Russia's on the run, things like that, which is also a lie. Um, but I, I just feel like there's two sides who... The mainstream media wants the U.S. to win, and the critics, who I largely follow, feel like if Russia wins, we'll be better off. That's not true. This is there's no victory here, in my opinion. I'm not a pacifist. We will have to stop the war. We in the U.S. will have to stop this war by making war on our own ruling class, and that's true of the Russian working class in Russia. Both of them are going to have to be taken down. Um, but nevertheless, both sides will will think that their side's right on the cusp of victory, and I just don't. It's weird to watch this thing unfold and to see how each side has to escalate ever more firmly. Like when the U.S. felt like it was back down, it had to push its weapons and push more weapon systems into Ukraine. It has now more deliberately brought trying to bring Poland into the fold. It is now being more deliberate in terms of the, the not just the weapon systems, but the use of direct NATO intervention to to do offensives against against Russia. And that's what has led to some of the seeming success of these offensives, although I think they're being exaggerated. Um, but secondly, those who said Russia was going to just take over, that who felt like it was going to be over by September or August, and I mean uh, September or October, now they're having to re, re. Now what Russia had to do was basically remobilize another three hundred thousand troops so they could begin to build for a new offensive, and the, and the U.S. in the face of Russia doing this, um, uh, some of its aggression, you know, goes out and blows up the Nord Stream pipeline, which I think was a massive, you know, and. The Crimean Bridge, um, which is a massive escalation, the North Sea Pipeline in particular. And even it raises questions about why is the U.S. not only fucking with Russia, but they're actually screwing up Germany. Like, I think there are questions that, are, that come up around that, which I'd like to take on here today. Um, but what I see is each side having to keep bringing more things to the table in order to keep the game going. And that, to me, reminds me of World War One and World War II. It just feels like more and more fuel is having to be put under this fire, and each side is being forced to bring draw more and more of its resources into this thing in order to assure that it that it doesn't lose and that it wins. But in my mind, no, neither side can win because 
they will have to literally destroy the other, they will have to leave the other one a cinder. And that just means that we have to have a nuclear war to get this resolved if capitalism is still in place. That's how I feel about it. So um, that's my first thing I could say about some of this stuff. I mean, didn't um, Russia state or today, I think it was, that if the Ukraine were to join NATO, that it would be, it would be World War III. If it would be World War Three. That's what I that's what I read. Uh, this is this isn't something that we're just speculating. This is something they clearly stated. Um, and just to be clear, there are people. Even these discussions happening right now in the in the U.S. ruling class is how much Putin is bluffing or not with that. Biden said, "Hey, he's not bluffing." There's other people who say he kind of is bluffing. I'm not even sure if Biden is being honest when he's saying he is bluffing. So there, that is one of the questions that that is confusing is to say what what does the U.S. really think? Um, my opinion is I don't think empires ultimately can just be wiped off the map unless they unless they do everything they can to keep themselves afloat. That's true for the U.S. and that's true for Russia. So in in a sense, I think they can't bluff because they're willing to destroy the planet or just destroy the planet for humans if it means that they have the chance of keeping themselves afloat. And yeah, Leonard, do you have any thoughts on the on the referendums, right? That just those so yeah, I forgot to mention those. Those are big deals because basically Russia is making it so that they know that. They, they know that basically the U.S. is trying to bleed them. And so what they're pushing the U.S. to do is, okay, you're going to bleed us by making us fight in Donetsk or various parts of the Donbass. Well, we're going to claim those parts of Donbass. And we're now, the referendums now make them part of Russia. So now you're going to, now what we're going to say to the United States is you're going to come into Russia and attack us. That means you're not attacking our allies, you're attacking us. So this allows the, the Russia to basically no longer use the pretext of, of, of NATO at the border, because NATO is literally, well, they're pushing their border outwards, moving into farther into Ukraine. And that means any attempt by the United States or NATO or their Ukrainian proxies to attack them is a direct attack on Russian soil. So now Russia can basically act like they are being directly attacked. And it's a, it's a wise move. But it, again, it speaks to the nature of the escalation. And that, that was that referendum. That was the thing that was the basis for the Nord Stream pipeline attack. I've forgotten that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't think. Um, I do think, like, I did follow a little bit of the coverage from like people who were actually on the ground, journalists who were actually on the ground there during the referendum, because obviously, you know, the U.S. media was putting out this narrative that, like, you know, it was just all voting at gunpoint and all this bullshit. Um, and as much as like I, it makes sense what you're saying, like from um, a geopolitical uh, framework. But I do think like for those people who are actually voting in those referendums, I mean, this was like eight plus years coming, right? Um, so it's, I mean, it's, if that, if your analysis kind of holds to be true, it's just, I guess it's just that much more like, awful sort of poetic injustice right that like they finally get to determine you know at least to a degree like 
their own sovereignty, right? Um, and the majority of people there do want to be part of Russia. Um, but in a way, right, it's just like kind of ends up playing into the hands of of a potential escalation in world war. Yeah, I'm glad you're putting it the way you put it, because for in my opinion, those these are sham elections, just like our elections are sham elections, because they're they are driven politically by Russia or by the United States. The elections in Ukraine are sham elections. The elections in the United States are sham elections. The elections in Russia are sham elections. <laughs> See, that's oh, compost. 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 <laughs> but I, I have to say that I, I feel like the people in the who are were being liberated by Russia. I don't believe that there's any liberation there. It's this is a war between two capitals, two capitalist centers, two empires. So they're not interested in liberation. They are interested in, in victory. They are interested in expansion. These are two expansionist powers. I don't care about the Russian expansionist power. My job is to stop my expansionist power because they are, in my opinion, they're driven by capitalism, not by Putin and Biden or Obama or Trump. It's driven by a system. So that I don't trip about whether these I don't even trip about the U Ukrainian Nazis because the Ukrainian not when they trip about, you know, they say, oh, the Ukrainian Nazis. Well, I'm sorry. Like you got Nazis in the United States. you got Nazis who who you've got people who are racist, like nationalists on all sides. Like that Nazism, that fascism thing is just a feature of capitalism in crisis. Um, so there's no there's no right on this. They're all wrong. Um, the only right of it is these these powers have to be taken down by their own people. Um, and that's not going to happen out of Ukraine, either on the Donbass section or the uh, Western Ukraine. It's going to have to happen in the home countries of the empires that are creating all these problems. And the biggest problem, I think, is being created by the United States and NATO. But China and Russia are not liberators here. They are just looking to they, the, the multipolar world that everyone's talking about. They don't want the multi. They want the unipolar world of China and Russia running. And they're not going to get it because that's not the way capitalism works. It has a tendency toward monopoly, but it can never achieve monopoly. It will always disintegrate in the in the context of the competitions between monopolies. So, I that's I don't know if that makes any sense, but I don't I don't really worry about whether those were free elections because they're not free elections. They're they are held under gunpoint, uh, but all elections are are fake. What do you got, Eduardo? <laughs> All elections are just fake. <laughs> Until we, unless we have our own, like, real revolutions. I mean, and I don't know what we're going to, how we're going to decide things, but it ain't going to be the way that the things are being decided now. As elections are happening in Brazil, as elections are happening here in the USA, you know. <laughs> uh, guess my comment is around how I see parallels with Taiwan. And then there's North Korea just re recently, um, you know, blasting missiles over Japan. I'm just thinking, you know, like the Asian hemisphere, like that, 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 that part of the world is also like, we're in a very in a situation where the, this is, I, I just feel World War Three is imminent. It's just so, the competition around power and 
who is going to lead is 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 I feel this is the time where it's like again this just multiple nations are com competing for this it, this is clearly for me in my opinion clearly how things are are lead up to world war 3 i don't see like it's not just happening one area of the world it's happening with multiple stronghold powerful nations so so it's not like like, I just don't see how people think or dismissive that it's like some psyop or. I mean, I, since I do talk and, you know, respect people who, who do see it as more like that way, I think I get it. I just don't, that's not the framework in which I see the world. Um, one last piece I want to add is the Nord Stream pipeline stuff. And in some ways this is kind of being said because Brandy, Brandy has been interested in, in, not interested, but like really curious about us maybe talking more about this part. And one of the questions that came up for me was like, when the, the U.S. when the U.S. attacked it, which is how I understand what happened. I believe the U.S. attacked German and Russian infrastructure. All right, but the, the only so, promise Biden's kept. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes, there he goes. Well done. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so it's clear why they would do it for Russia, but it's also an attack on Germany. And I'm reminded of a very famous quote that I remember about NATO, which is, which I, when I, I looked it up recently and it was said by this, one of the initial uh, heads of NATO, who was a European dude, because um, NATO was actually first formed by the Europeans and the U S were invited into it later. And then they kind of took it over. And he said the role of, of NATO was, to, was ultimately to keep us in Europe, to keep Russia out of Europe and to keep Germany down in Europe. So it was US in, Russia out, Germany down. And that 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 stuck in my mind when I thought about what's going on, which is because this is a, again is such a competitive system that US's own actions are, are dual are dual here. One to yes, openly and nakedly attack Germany, I mean Russia, but also behind the scenes let Germany know we're going to decide how things go here. We're going to decide how things go for you in Europe because you you have no options but to come to us because we're cutting you off from them, um, and and it raises an, an additional question as to why in some ways Germany wouldn't then try to isolate break itself free from this and do something more and in fact is kind of opportunistically using this this event to now bring hardship onto its own people in Germany like and. Personally, I think what the German the German ruling class is taking advantage. The U.S. ruling class in the '70s had to do a, a magic trick of basically the social a kind of social contract that occurred between the unions and between workers in the United States, at least the ones who seemed their their living standards increased during the '50s and '60s. That notion had to be eradicated. So they had to basically get workers over a ten year period through the '70s to accept that this notion of of raising living standards is is gone. Now it's a declining. What you need to accept is declining living standards. And that's what I think the Germans, German ruling class is taking advantage of this in doing. They are trying to essentially use opportunities like this to eliminate the social contract that has existed in Europe for the working classes in those countries since World War II and the Marshall Plan. And now they get an excuse to say, hey, it's not our fault. This is Russia. This is the United States. But it requires, we, it requires everyone tighten the belts. And when, when a ruling class tells its own people to tighten the belts, I can tell you they are robbing those people. 
Um, and this is exactly what, so I I'll honestly feel like Germany is kind of using this event to force more concessions from its own working class and thinking that somehow it can make uh, lemons out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons as a result of this. So that's how I answer these questions as to why would Germany, when it, it knows it got punked by the United States, then go and really not do anything about it and then go squeeze its own workers. That's how I answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I feel like political elites, like whether it's from a nation state standpoint or elsewhere, like they're always going to show more solidarity with, you know, their fellow geopolitical elites than they are with their own people, right? Um, someone reminded me of that um, Kissinger quote, um, which what you were just saying about Germany um, is like case in point, right? Like to, what is it? To be a, to be America's enemy is dangerous, but to be their friend is fatal or something, something to that effect. Um, and I think, I mean, the whole EU, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wonder like what people there, I mean, I know a few, but like what the sort of working class sentiment is because they should be fucking furious with their own leaders and with any NATO state. I mean, it's insane. Like they have people asking them to collect firewood to, to, to keep heat in the winter. Like, I mean, this is like a Western, you know, EU nation. Um, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see like what level of resistance people organize, if any. Because, man, I mean, if that's not enough to, to, to rally people, um, and I know, I mean, I guess I'm biased, but I tend to think that like European populations are a little smarter <laughs> and more organized than American than the American population when it comes to um, any sort of political resistance. I mean, even just like you know during the lockdowns and stuff, right? Like, I mean, they mobilized so much more people. Um, in the streets in places like Germany. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it just feels like the nuclear threat to me is just like hovering over <laughs> everyone. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so that's, that's what's always kind of, I'm always like every once in a while, just checking those stories and seeing what I make of this stuff. Um, so that's what's been on my mind. It's so sickening. War is so sickening. Yeah. And this, I just feel like this one, just like the fourth industrial revolution feels like in the way that Allison talks about the slave conditions that indigenous people and, and, you know, black people had to experience is now going to be a generalizable experience for more and more workers. And that's what the fourth industrial revolution means is we are all going to experience a kind of indigenous up, up, uprooting from any freedoms and liberties and having a say in our own life. Um, I feel like this particular conflict just feels like it can just draw us all in, um, in a way that other ones did not feel that same way. So who's next? Eduardo's next. He's going to uplift us after that cheery opening segment. <laughs> well, I have several things I can uplift us with something funny that's happening in my country of Mexico. Like there's something really funny, but also serious. 
or I could uplift us with something. I have three things that I had in mind. So I, there is uh, the, well, there's the, the reinstatement today. Today there was reinstated Title 42 for COVID ex, uh, expulsions of people who are immigrating to the USA. Then there is a deputy who posted a pornographic video and is causing an uproar in Mexico. And so that's kind of where I want to, so I can share from either one. That's your There's also the palate cleanser. <laughs> huh? I'm just kidding. I said that's your palate cleanser is a pornographic <laughs> controversy. <laughs> yeah. Well, here I'll share it because I look. So in Mexico, there there's a, the lower house of Congress. They're called deputies. And I'm not going to go into the specifics how we vote them in, but it, let's see if I just. Right. So there's this woman named Maria Clemente from the same party of uh, Andres, Manuel, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And she posted this video the 30th of September on Twitter of like sort of a, a pornographic video and it's explicit content. And everyone is uproar about this video. Everyone's in an uproar about how could a person in Congress uh be posting such something like that and she it, said I, well sorry just to clarify it's like she's in the video she's in the video she's she's actually performing oral sex so well on the following day she posted like a sneak like she said oh be ready for a sneak peek for the following day so on saturday so the first of october well, it's caused so much controversy in, Me in Mexico. Everyone is saying, how could someone in an official office be posting something like this? A federal deputy in Mexico City who made history in 2001 when she and another politician became the first trans people to be elected in the country's Congress. Well, she says that she's able, she has, she's in her right because, and this is what's important to me out of this story, more than anything, which I think is important for us here in the audience. She says, why should I stop doing what I do as a sex worker if she's trying to bring to light this issue? Why should I stop doing what I do if I'm a whore and that's my, that's my, off, that's my work? And other deputies, other people in Congress are CEOs, they're, they're in their law firms, they're stealing people's money, they're allowed to do their work alongside being a deputy, corrupt officials doing other stuff. I mean, they're allowed to do this stuff and I'm not allowed to be a whore. So she comes out saying there has to be more, uh, more, there if she's going to be, uh, there's the hypocrisy, the double standard. If she's going to have to stop being a sex worker, then everyone else should stop uh, execute or doing their, their, their line of work as well, because they're not, so because she's asked, are you not being paid enough as a deputy? And she says, well, are you asking the same question to the people who are in CEOs as their deputies? Are they not getting paid enough as a deputy in Congress? So why, why am I the only one who's being targeted? So I appreciate just, it's just kind of like moving away from Ukraine and that very <laughs> dark topic to this, just about people who I think are trying to stir up the pot of how things are run in, in Congress, how things are run in, in, in the government in Mexico. And, uh, and she's bringing to light just anybody who is working uh, on, on the streets 
should be given an alternative or should given or should be given at least stop be de- stop being criminalized for what their work is and also just the stigma that comes around it. So it's just something that I found uh, interesting and it's so so many, it's causing debate in Mexico and people feel like, oh my God, what is she doing? Why, you know, people could try to tag her as like trying to, uh, they're trying to um, figure out ways, not tag her, excuse me. They're trying to figure out ways that she should step down because she's doing something that's not correct in society, like correct as a congressperson. So uh, there's a lot of debates around it and I'm just, I just thought it was interesting and different from what Andy is sharing. And I don't know if I wanted to share it here, but I thought, well, since we're going to change the topic, I, whatever. So it's um, something that uh, I just been keeping up on. Um, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> I guess I always, I mean, I have my own, I get, I think I understand the point that she's trying to make, which is not totally off base. I mean, I have my own opinions about just pornography in general. Um, but I don't know, I guess when it's a politician, I'm always a little bit like, I just feel like sex scandals, like of any kind, even in this case, obviously, like she put the video out purposefully um whereas you know in america we're sort of used to like something yeah. out, right but i i mean in either case i guess i always just kind of feel like it's a distraction and like to me it's like well as long as you're not hurting people i don't really give a fuck <laughs> like what what kind of sex you're having with who and um whether you're filming it or you know um when people can't eat and you have (laughs) people crossing the jungle right with their kids um so yeah I mean I don't I guess that's kind of just where mine go like without knowing anything more than Eduardo just shared um yeah like yeah Eduardo you want to respond because I was gonna no I don't I don't have much to respond it's something I thought would be yeah like they're just like Oh my God, like let's just, it's just an energy harvest. It's like voting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing that comes to mind for me. And I do agree with Jessica's point that she makes that this that this politician's point is actually true, but it's irrelevant. Um, because what it looks like is a spectacle is being created to draw people into either side of this thing. And neither of the sides is really looking at any of the issues that are actually going to matter to people in Mexico or the United States or in the world. And it look it, it just reminds me of the way that politics are done in art. It, it shows me the spectacle that politics have become and the distraction that they have become in the way of getting people to focus on these important, in some ways, seemingly principled points. But there's something about it that's that's empty and that feels like it's a it's a charade and illusion and an illusion on both sides. Right. Those people who get to say, look, we, these are important political uh positions people are are taking you know like we can't just have anybody sitting in these houses in the congress and like they get to pretend that there's something like respectable in that and then the other people get to pretend that they're actually putting a kind of resistance to it while at the very same time distracting from the actual things that people need to do 
to do, which is basically say, this whole thing is a show. This whole thing has to go. Every Both sides are looking to attack you. So, you know, that that to me is what is what is it. it I, I there's a there is probably more sincerity on the part of the person who is uh, the the prostitute, but they're both distracting people from what really is in play, in my opinion. Do you think that the public response would be different if it were a man circulating like a sex video? I just mean, I'm, I'm asking Eduardo mostly because I don't, I know it's- I think, that, I think what I find, this is just something I was very, it's just, it's making a lot of, like it's trending. And I just thought it would be something that it, because it's in people's minds right now, I thought I'd just share it very quickly. There is something I would like to share that's also about surveillance that's happening, but this is sort of like candy to our podcast about like, okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, I do think there would be a difference in the way that men, right, um, would be sharing it. People are attacking her, but I, I, I think what I love about it, just that I'm like, <laughs> like, there is no shame. There's nothing around like, you know what? If people can be doing their double standard about, you know, you're a congressperson, you're not supposed to be working, then I'm just going to show light to how congresspeople are, 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 are corrupt and are also doing other jobs besides what they're supposed to be doing, legislating. Something else could be said about that, but I'm not saying. But just the fact that politicians are hypocrites is what she's trying to bring to light. Uh, what's most important is what's just been revealed this week which is there have been a massive hack uh, called from a group of Guacamaya, a group called Guacamaya in Mexico that has leaked information about the military being in cahoots with the cartels in Mexico, as well as US American officials that have been supportive of the Mexican military. And what I think this is really important is to see how they've surveilled the Zapatista movement. However, anyone feels about the Zapatista movement, I have some issues around it, but I still feel I'm pretty supportive of them. I love who, what their project and their, it's not just a project, I, that's very diminishing. I feel it's it's become a very, a strong resistance movement in Mexico and Chiapas that we can maybe do a, a whole in-depth episode about, but they've been heavily surveilled on. And this is what this massive leak has concluded. Like officials in the country's cartels, you should be focusing what's happening with that instead of focusing on what's happening with the Zapatista movement. And as well as the documents show officials monitoring journalists and activists using this Pegasus spyware, which we, if we remember back, we talked about Pegasus and evaded cooperation with the investigation into the disappearance of 43 students in Ayosinapa. I mean, Ayosinapa, which which happened in 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 um in Guerrero was something that we uh in Mexico was important because it showed the the it showed the 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 cover up between uh Mexican uh uh officials with the cartels that supposedly AMLO is trying to disintegrate like he's trying not to have that anymore but it's it happens in 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 the USA it happens in every other country where the government is working alongside with, with what's deemed as criminals. And uh, these documents have also reported that uh, the, mili the military sold grenades 
to drug cartels. So I'm, I guess what, for me, it's what's scary is how much technology, how much is being used and how much focus is being um, centered around people that are not the issue. So Zapatistan women are not the issue, right? It's all these, it's the military that's the issue. And they're the ones who are being, who are, are, are using this spyware this, uh, to be able to basically just uh, surveil our people, right? That is something I'm worried about. Uh, and alongside with more registering, more documentation, more trying to, uh, of Venezuelans and other immigrants. Today, there was another release of information um, by the White House on trying to corral immigrants to enter certain entry points, specifically using uh, the Title 42 uh, uh, program in order uh, that's to expel anybody who's trying to enter who is not COVID ready or, or anything around uh, vaccinations, registering them, documenting folks, and only allowing uh, up to 24,000 Venezuelans. If I don't remember, I don't want to say a wrong uh, number. Yes, all right. Um, the Biden administration has reached a deal with Mexico that will allow for 24,000 Venezuelan migrants with financial sponsors to enter the USA and expelling others who don't meet the economic criteria who cross the border outside of a port of entry. And the US will expel those immigrants, those migrants to Mexico under the pandemic era Title 42 program. This comes amid reports that Biden administration is preparing to scale down sanctions on Venezuela to allow the Chevron Corporation tourism, of course, pumping oil there. So um, surveillance, tracking people, surveil like it's just more of what we've discussed. And that's what I've, because my pulse, I keep the pulse of what's happening in Mexico and immigration recently uh, around immigration. That's something that's like, oh, these restrictions, uh, this uh, tracking of people's movements, tracking of what people are doing with resistance, uh, that's just a reflection of what's to come for us if we organize, you know? Who knows what the USA is, what, like if they're using Pegasus or whatever uh, spyware are being used on us and how monitoring, I mean, if this was hacked and this was leaked, if this, if whatever comes to light, if someone was to hack uh, the military operations, who knows what we'd find? Stuff that we've speculated here before, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to us here on what's left, but it would be important for us to see that if this was, is this something that we can see? It's, it's not, it's not anything conspiratorial, right? Like we're really, even with like the whole, I think of this is gonna be like hard on people on the left, but even the whole thing that happened with uh, Gen the 6th of January, it's not like I'm in agreement with the people that went after Congress, but after seeing how organized and how video footage was taken, how much there was an emphasis on this uprising, the way that it was just monitored and attacking and, 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 and getting people, like, I don't know, I've said this to you before, Andy, how could we have a movement that, and I'm afraid to say this, like how can we have a movement that is going to be able to fight the, the, the heavily tech funded, very, very prepared and 
overly militarized, you know, military operations on us, on nosotros, who are going to be fighting that. You know, it's scary to think of that. And I know people focus on Trump supporters, but that is something that we, it's like an example of what can happen to any resistance, any uprising that happens here in the USA. How much our civil liberties are going to be taken away because you're just being considered a rioter or you're being considered someone who is, you know, like, uh, what's the term? They use a term. Uh, well, domestic terrorist. Yeah. No, but there's another term. But yeah. So I'm just, I was thinking about that as, as this was leaked. I mean, yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot of analysis to add, but yeah, I'm like, I'm sure that this leak is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's really going on. And yeah, it's just all the stuff we've been talking about, um, just kind of the convergence of the biosecurity state, especially like post 9-11, um, you know, now sort of becoming conjoined with biomedical surveillance. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's bad times for sure. Yeah. And I mean, the first thing I would say is, uh, the question you asked Eduardo is how can they be do, using this against the, the Zapatistas when there's this criminality at all levels and that question posing the question essentially answers it, which is. These these measures are not designed to expose uh, the criminality at the top. These measures are a result of the criminality at the top so that they can continue to be criminals and they can isolate the people who are trying to stop it. Like, because I understand that you talked about the Zapatistas and you talked about January 6th, but neither you, nor, I mean, Eduardo, I don't think Jessica, we would, neither of us would confuse the Zapatista movement for January 6th. January 6th was, was largely an FBI creation so that they could then go out and justify the the actions that they're going that they want to now escalate on the US public because they worry that there could be a Zapatista like movement in the United States at some point and so they have to build this infrastructure which is designed to attack it and control it so the measures that you're seeing taken against the Zapatistas I think are the tip of the iceberg it is not an accident that they seem to have the imp imprint of US infrastructure, because I, I'm sure the US, U.S. is not only are they using that stuff in the United States, they are exporting it to their allies so that they can help them control their populations. And it's one of the ways the U.S. will will build allies in the colonies to say, we will help keep you in power no matter how much you embitter your own population, because we're going to give you these tools that we use to control our own population. But you're going to need us. The U.S. is saying to the ruling class in Mexico, you will still need us because, by the way, this is our backyard. Um, so and I and I but I do think that the people who've exposed this hack and I, I hadn't heard about it or had exposed this stuff like it reminds me of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. Um, it's like these the these elements that are that are actually going out and exposing things are vital. But I also can see that they're closing the window down on them. Um, and uh, it is, I will just say this, it, it, if World War III is not where things go, if that is a PSYOP, 
then the world you're describing, Eduardo, is the way the world, like that's the alternative that is being posed for us. So if World War, if we don't get destroyed in World War III, then here's what you get. You get this world that of, of prison planet that is going to be very unpleasant for anyone who has any dignity or has any, who doesn't want to like just screw somebody over in order to get ahead, who wants to try to do something together. If that's your way of living, then life's going to become very difficult for you because the people who, who've made a living out of screwing people over are going to make it so only they can benefit and every one of the rest of us has to pay in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I was just, uh, I was listening to an interview the other day with um, Wyatt Reed, who writes for RT and he was in the, on the ground. Did you guys hear any, he, that suicide bomb that um, uh, was like a hotel, I think. Um, And he's one of these people who's on that kill list that Ukrainian kill list um, that includes, you know, like Eva Bartlett and lots of, lots of journalists. Um, and I, I was just, I, I, anecdotal maybe, uh, or coincidence, but he shared that he had, he basically left his hotel, um, and to get like dinner or something and came back and missed being hit by the bomb by like a few minutes. Um, so he was like coming back right as it went off and like, who knows, like, you know, exactly who or what they were aiming for. Um, you know, allegedly suicide, Ukrainian suicide bomb. Um, but he had shared his, uh, like location through WhatsApp, um, like just about an hour or a couple hours before, um, which I mean, kind of stupid like knowing <laughs> whatsapp's not even like doesn't even pretend to be right like any sort of secure um you know app it's facebook app but it just i don't know just makes me think about like they can put spyware on anything like the the surveillance technology is so advanced um whether it's pegasus or whatever right um yeah it it it, it just it feels like just a different world in which to try to organize resistance, right? When you're dealing with just a a complete inability to have any sort of secure uh, communications outside of in-person. I mean, and even that, right? There's there's risk. I mean, that's what, you know, Edward Snowden had said about our phones, everything, and with the spyware that's being used to surveillance citizens, that, like Pegasus spyware, which is used by governments, and that's in it. That's um, we covered it. Uh, that's a technology that was created by the Israelis, right? Candier, if I remember, they, they're created by the Israelis, yes, and they sold to Mexico and sold to other countries in Latin America, and it's it's just a way that we're going to have to figure out a way to, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like that's another thing that we can discuss on Workers and Students for Choice. It's like what technologies or what things or what can we resist around tech that's going to give us a way to have, you know, not track our calls, not track our passwords, not track our location um, because everything is being used to surveillance us. And two, when they combine 
like spyware and surveillance with all of the like behavioral analytics data mm-hmm. stuff that we've covered, like especially related to education, but it's used, you know, in many different capacities. Then you have a situation where it's like, you don't even have to say something. You, you don't have to be like a dissident. <laughs> it, it, it could be predictive, right? It could be pre-crime. It could be um, behavior profiling, like any of that. Um, and then you end up, you know, probably in <laughs> in prison, like Julian Assange, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was discussing this with, I don't know if we're going off, Andy, you can correct me back, but I was just discussing this with Alex, who's living with us here. And he was saying how much, because he's from Venezuela, and he was saying how much he's surprised at how advanced the USA is. But I said to him, we were having a discussion around um, dissidents, right? Because he was kind of praising the USA in the way that it's the infrastructure and the availability of jobs and stuff. But we had the discussion around uh, how much the competition, the economy, the pressures of trying to survive in this society, and as he will eventually see, are just, eventually is like you'll just, just because you're here for the first two weeks, you haven't really experienced what it's going to be like as a, like in the service industry, which is what Kenny had shared in the in, in an episode that we did together. But it'll get to you. I said it, you know, you, and then we'll have a discussion again. And I hope by then you'll you'll ask, we'll have this discussion and see how you feel differently about it then. But it's because you're coming from a different point of view, but you'll experience a different way of living here. And and he thought about it and he was saying, like I'd I just I just want us to have a world where we just don't have to worry so much about like the 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 day-to-day life and I said yeah but once but but when but you will worry about it if everything that you do is being monitored everything that you do your your daughter's life is being used for you know her data and her education is being her education is being uh, uh, just limited or restricted or propagandized into what she could learn in school. And so we're having these discussions, but I, I think that it's, what I guess what I'm trying to get with that is, is it's to him, it's one, one point of view. And then my point of view sharing with him, I'm hoping that we can build this, this work together around how, how it's across any nation that we're going to feel trapped and enslaved but it's still trying to get until i'm still trying i'm struggling with him on that conversation because he's still seeing it as like living day to day and i think those things are distractions really like how can you think more beyond about you know your 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 needs and think about your phone monitoring you when you're in you know you're just trying to survive I don't know, that, that, that's something I've been having a discussion with him about. I mean, that's the theme, like throughout all history with the working class, right? Like if you can barely feed your kids, how can it's you? It's just difficult them? to think beyond that. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, there has been there has been pretty big resistance even within the U.S. working class under conditions that were a lot worse um, in terms of like longer work days and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I don't think the the only barrier. I'm sometimes wondering if it's, if it's even the biggest barrier is just people's busyness. Um, I I suspect, and we are moving off the field, but we'll see if we get to Jessica's thing. But I suspect, as I was listening to what you were saying about Alex, is he is among those people who have said the there really is no point in thinking about changing this world. Just, mm-hmm. just let that go, because that ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So what is the point of thinking about it? So, in a sense, the, the person thinks we're not going to change the world. So how can I make my way in it? And then in the back of their mind is, well, I can possibly make my way in it if I don't get too far off the radar. If I stay stay in my lane, essentially, as long as as long as I'm not doing anything wrong, then why should I be worried about being monitored? Mm. That's the kind of thinking that goes into it. But within that, really built in that thinking is. By saying you're not going to do anything wrong, you're literally saying there's nothing I'm going to do to threaten the system. There's nothing I'm going to do to challenge the system. But the reason you're going to say that is because what is the point of even thinking of doing such a thing? Because we all know that's not going to happen. So stop thinking about it. It certainly isn't crazy to think that. So that's what I I personally feel like that's what animates that kind of thing, which is let's just take off the table the idea there's going to be any fundamental change. So let's just talk about a real conversation about how do I make my way in a world worse or better that I'm not going to have an influence on. I'm just going to try to make my way through it. And that personally, I think is the biggest barrier and it gets like, that's where I start to think about things like socialism and the existing socialism as being seen by former Soviet union or Cuba or China and people saying, look, we've tried to make changes and it always just creates the same crap. And then that's where people start to say, the thing I live in sucks. Having a revolution and then producing something else sucks. So let's just take all that shit off the table and just I'm just going to live my life as best I can make, without making too many make, making the wrong enemies. And maybe I can make a better way for my kids and they can get through this. But the idea of changing it, let's just forget it. Well, and that is kind of what the U.S., like the sort of contemporary, like supposedly more realist, like version of the American dream, like that is what is offered in this country. Um, is like, yeah, okay, the system's maybe not perfect, right? And yeah, like, okay, you're probably not going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like become a billionaire. But like, if you work hard, you can still make a good life for yourself within this system. Um, Best case scenario, right? But it is a kind of like colonization of the mind, you know, just sort of another version of that, which we all to, to some degree are, I think trying to overcome I mean even like you know with the whole sort of homesteading like off-grid movement like there's a part of that that I think is like truly people trying to think outside the box and create like a real threat by rejecting the system at large but I also think there's a, a good chunk of that mentality that's just like well I can I can just like you know unsubscribe (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and like you know oh like don't don't fight it like just just leave um 
and make a good life for yourself and your family and fuck everybody else, right? Like they're just sheep or whatever, um, which I don't like that aspect of. Yeah. Like I want to do both. Like I want to reject it and fight as part of the broader, you know, solidarity efforts. Even if, if I, I lose. That's why I feel, I'm sorry, we're really going off and you can edit this. Andy. That's how I feel about like leaving public education. I don't, I know we didn't get day on today, but I feel like my small work back at school is to try to bring teachers and families together to work together. This is my project now, right now. But I don't feel like I want to just leave school entirely and, and have help Jonathan and my brother homeschool. Because I, I feel like there's still public education is still something worth like using as a vehicle for change, you know, for hopefully if I don't know. If 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 there's worker class working class unity amongst families and educators, I don't know. You both look very. I don't know, man. I just got out of a faculty meeting a couple hours ago, and it's so depressing. It's just like a bunch yeah. of like former leftists or so-called leftists, like complaining and talking about all of these unjust things. And how fucked up it is, but then like acknowledging that the system is just not even set up. Like it's impossible to change any of the issues that we're righteously complaining about and are correct about. COVID policies aside, of course, because we're all for those. But you know, uh, like the privatization of it, um, all all of it. Um, but it's just another another energy harvest. We're all just like trying to like go through these like pro you know administrative processes and legislative processes that we know have never worked before and are unlikely to work you know maybe we get like the tiniest tiniest reform and meanwhile our students are getting poorer and sicker and dumber and <laughs> less literate and feeling more hopeless yeah while we like take their tuition money <laughs> and then be like you're failing <laughs> uh. yeah i'm I'm pretty much with Jessica on there's nothing here anymore. I mean, I'm in it, but I mean, there's good people, but it, I mean, but the institution itself is, uh, has to be, has to be dismantled and something else has to be rebuilt. And that's, that to me is the home, my hope of being involved in the homeschool stuff. Although we are getting into that hopefully later. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm excited for today's episode. Let's we'll check. Oh, we're done. All right. Episodes are <laughs> Jessica, just tell us what you're paying attention to. Well, uh, so I had I have been reading about Ukraine and Russia as well, but honestly, it makes me feel sick. <laughs> like I just the weapons, like oh. Um so the two things that have been on my mind. So first I'll give palate cleansers too. Um I just think this kind of relates to some of Eduardo's stuff that he brought up. Um was like the Assange uh, series of events that just happened in the past week. Um, well, when we're filming this week, um, to my knowledge was like the biggest turnout, uh, at least since he was put in Belmarsh. Um, 
it's been so long. Like I, I lose track of time and like, I don't know, the events get kind of muddled, but, um, yeah, I mean the, the mobilization in London, maybe I'll find some pictures and we can insert them, but you know, they formed like a human chain around parliament. It looked from the pictures, like, I don't know, I saw estimates as high as like 10,000 people, mm-hmm. um, just at that London event. And then there were also, um, events all over the States in major cities, not in Le Grand, it's party of one, like me and my Assange bumper sticker but um but it was just I don't know it was it was cool to see uh I don't know you know it feels very bleak but yeah I, I think um worth noting that there are there are a lot of people um bringing attention to that issue and um then on the other hand I, I've also we've been talking about free speech in a couple of my classes this week um so we had like a big discussion about the Alex Jones uh verdict today um not so much from uh, like Alex Jones is good or bad perspective or at least we kind of tried to sway away from that um but more from like the free speech angle and I mean you know again it's sort of like this dumb celebrity like I don't really give a fuck about <laughs> Jones himself but um goddamn like almost a billion dollars that's unprecedented uh total sympathy for the parents of those kids and i you know i I personally think while there very likely may have been some fuckery around the coverage i i think the you know the sandy hook kids were murdered but um that said it's a really slippery slope as we know right um I think when you when you take away somebody's right to say something, no matter how conspiratorial or how um, obscene or offensive, it that sets one heck of a precedent. Um, and you know, I saw a lot of people kind of comparing figures, and you know, like one that stood out was two thousand eight um, economic, you know. Um, collapse i think it was around six, 60 something million dollars was the most money that any financial executive responsible um for the 2008 financial crisis was made to pay versus 900 and whatever it is almost a billion um so yeah i don't know i don't know what to think about the sort of free speech stuff um i think the julian assange stuff was good news or rather it's it is good that that that's not being forgotten, and that uh, it might have it might actually develop some momentum. The exposures around, uh, like the things that WikiLeaks were doing, and he and he was doing to expose what the the criminality of the of the U.S. and Western elites, um, I think, was really important. And just like what Eduardo was talking about with this hack, um, I think there we I think they only t- are again the tip of the iceberg on some of the the depths of the lies. Um, but you know those things have the peop- the attempts to put those people in jail has to be fought um, for the idea of freeing our speech, not free speech in this system because I don't think it exists, but free allowing us to speak freely so that we can change the world. Um, and it is related to the Alex Jones thing for me because, like, on one hand, Alex Jones I think very easily could be a government cutout um, so that he he's like a he's like January six as in human form, a person who does things and says things so that they, that the U S state can come in and just 
So it's not really bad for Alex Jones. It's it's bad for the rest of us that they created a character who will then be used to go be gone after. If you think about all the censorship that has happened, Alex Jones and attacking Alex Jones was the was the model for how they would then reintroduce censorship for everyone. And we said it was going to attack the left, but of course they went after the right as well. But they kind of use the Alex Jones model. And I think the same thing here. Um, it's an absurd thing to allow the New York Times and the mainstream media, which literally put forward lies that killed hundreds of millions of people, you know, in, in all these wars and the war in Iraq and things like that, then they don't pay a cent. And to think that the U.S. ruling class cares about the Sandy Hook parents and their feelings and they're going to use a billion dollar price tag. That has not that billion dollar price tag has nothing to do with some kind of crime or some kind of speech or some kind of hurt feelings. It has everything to do with saying we are not going to allow regular people to speak their mind. And if you and, and we're going to have a tool, a, all sorts of tools to to threaten you into, into shutting the fuck up. Um, if Alex Jones is legit, they, they're, they're doing it. And if Alex Jones is their agent, they're doing it. They are using him um, one way or the other to send a message that you are not free to speak. Uh, the state is going to threaten you with all sorts of tools and weapons, um, not just putting you in jail, but freezing your assets or putting you in debt on the basis of it because you've hurt somebody with what you've said, or, or that's what the state has determined, and therefore we're going to now hurt you. So it's not, it, it's just, it's the same thing about Pegasus. It's the same thing that we've saw and seen with the Zapatistas. It is that what we are watching is the, is the justification for state control of our thoughts and, and what we say. Um, and you better not, you better not speak freely because it could cost you a lot of money. It was funny. Well, not funny, like everything but funny seeing um, like trending on Twitter this week, like Alex Jones and then Pfizer lying. And they're not paying a cent, right? Exactly. I mean, who has hurt more people with their lies, Alex Jones or Pfizer? I mean, that's not even close. And they're not not only are they not getting fined. They're 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 being enriched. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. That because our audience, well, like the the way that it's framed, right? It's, it's not like, and it's not that these children's lives and the lives perpetrated by them is aren't important, but it's like, who are we just attacking? Then is it just Alex Jones, or are we attacking the New York Times for the lies they perpetrated? Thank you for saying that. <coughs> Pfizer episode taken down after saying that, and. You know, all of these companies that have really done a lot of damage to the big pharma. So it, it I think the way that people could take it, it's like as if all oh, that time, you know, well, these lies, yes, everyone if that's the case, if we're going after him, we should go after a bunch of people. There are a lot of people still living who have taken us to war and killed thousands, hundreds, millions of people as are not imprisoned. Yeah, and every, I mean every single every single media outlet that you know propagated lies about weapons of mass destruction, right? They should all be paying a billion dollars and having their companies destroyed. Like, yep, right. <laughs> exactly. And that they have to be first on the list if we're going to like talk about right. Yeah, people like Jones or anyone else. So these these are just small fries, and 
Yeah. And it's not about Jones. It's not about Assange. It's not about any individual, right? It's like about the message that that sends that there is no free press in this country or really any country, you know, and there's no free speech for civilians either. Well, this is what I had originally picked just partly because, well, one, because I, I do pay attention to the, to the, some of this stuff, um, but also because I knew you guys wouldn't pick it. Um, so I don't know if either of you are aware of this recent um, kind of controversy with mermaids, which is an LGBTQ plus, plus, plus um, charity. I think it's the largest or one of the largest ones in the UK. Um, and I'm not so much like interested in this particular revelation so much as kind of the larger discussion, but, um, just this past week, um, it came out that, um, I think it was one of the, let me actually pull it up. Cause I did have that mermaids are real. What's that? That mermaids are real. Is that, what that mermaids are real? I wish. Um, <laughs> That would be a much nicer conspiracy. Um, Okay, so uh, news broke. This is just, I think, a couple days ago. Um, News broke that Dr. Jacob Breslow, a trustee who sat on the board of Mermaids, a charity supporting the transitioning of kids, has been involved in efforts to normalize pedophilia. The academic, now an assistant professor of gender and sexuality, at LSE resigned last night after it was revealed that he had spoken at a conference hosted by um, an organization, and they give the name, um, which describes its its aims as, quote, unique collaborative effort between minor attracted people and mental health professionals to promote communication and understanding. Um, So basically, you know, the guy is like, if not a pedophile, like propping up, like actively in his um work um pedophilic organizations um and obviously you know the 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 twitter wars erupted and all of this um but i just think you know this like this has become a, a pattern um especially sort of in the academic world of queer theory and like i mean just the fact that the word like minor attracted people is becoming like kind of normalized um I find disturbing um and I just think I mean we've had some conversations on here kind of about like the sexualization of kids um obviously a lot of conversations around trafficking and um you know Epstein and all of that um and then yeah this issue of um transitioning in a lot of cases like increasingly young kids um and there's been there's been a couple kind of things that have have been circulating the past week or so like one was the John Stewart interview which I watched a very 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 small amount of uh, where he was sort of doing this like supposed to be like a gotcha interview with um I forget her name the Arkansas governor right and they got a lot of um heat last year earlier this year can't keep track of time um for you know quote unquote like anti-trans or like denying um trans people uh health health care right by which they mean um you know not having insurance companies like pay for 
uh, 12-year-olds to have double mastectomies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I just thought it was kind of an interesting development, right? And um, there's a lot of people like defending the organization and calling this like, oh, it's just, you know, an isolated incident. It's just a one-off. Um, and then you have people, you know, arguing like, no, this is um, <laughs> like, this is not surprising um, in any way, right? Like this is, this is becoming a, a, a trend. Um, and it's become right wing. It's become a right wing position, right. To even kind of talk about pedophilia, um, you know, it's associated with like, Oh, conspiracy theory. And like, um, and meanwhile, like nobody that none of the actual people who were purchasing, um, you know, human sex slaves, um, including children within the Epstein trafficking circle, like, where are those names? Right. Like what, I don't know. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but you know, it's one of those issues that just like when you're talking about kids, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's about as sickening as the, the war stuff to me. This is from mermaids, right? That's the name of the charity. So they're, they're like the, one of the biggest, um, I mean, they're like LGBTQ, um, but they do a lot of work. Um, they do like trainings, I think for, um, let's see, does it say, um, you know, I mean, they're, 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 they're like a pro trans sort of like educational charity group, um, you know, and they've come under fire too, for like things like providing breast binders to young girls, like without even notifying their parents, um, all this, all this sort of thing. I think it's bigger news in the UK, but I think it relates to a lot of the conversations around like um, sexuality and children and gender that we're having in the States as well. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, the, the, I feel like there's a lot more to, to say about this. And this, this actually really is a, opening up a whole new can of worms in some ways. But I do appreciate you. Like, I, and this is since that transgender episode we had, this has been an ongoing area of like is this is this a movement or is this a uh is this part of the attack like you know the the the, the notion of or the idea of people who are who, where i've understood it as wanting to change their sex and their right to do that and being an oppressed group and standing up for their rights to self-determine kind of thing but then you are exposing and talking about a, this underbelly that also seems to exist within an industry that seems to be saying it supports that cause. Um, I don't know what to make. Like I, I am, I have a difficult time trying to figure out what I make of it, except to say that it reminds me of my feelings about me too, as it, as it moved on in time to the idea that women experience, um, you know, sexual abuse and harassment and they do it in silence. And, and finally people are being able to speak up about it. I believe in that that process of people being able to speak out about their oppression and their experience of oppression and 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 even confront their oppressor. So I believe in that. Um, but there did come a point where Me Too seemed to just be taken up into like when the Kavanaugh hearings and stuff like that, 
it literally just seemed like it was taken over by the ruling class as a as a weapon against each other, but ultimately against a weapon against us. And that's where I guess that's how I start to feel about that this at that place, which is it is now the 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 transgender cause no longer really being used to to support people who might legitimately want that kind of like have that identity switch going on and might want to make that choice as adults. Um, and now it's being turned into something uh, that that does not that feels like a weapon being used against us um, and and feels like an, a weapon in, in at the hands of people we, we should not be trusting. Um, that's as much as I can say about it in terms of I, I sense within that movement and that, and it's a kind of exposed by the fact that this guy, and at the same time, I don't want to like say just because one person or even several people that then this whole movement is out out. But when you start to see the associations that they have, and I do believe those associations exist in the ruling class itself, in in these um, secret societies they have, in the hazing ceremonies they have, the spirit cooking and the child you know, things we've heard about the um, the British the British royalty, you know, and what they were involved in. I believe the ruling class is knee deep in all sorts of disgusting habits that they have for themselves that then they use as an almost hazing operation to prepare themselves for the, the mess that they're going to wreck on the world. Um, so that's what comes up for me right now is like, it does, it does seem like something that I believed in is now being utilized uh, for very ill, ill aims and not just for maybe hurting children but for pushing an agenda that is trying to make us normalize all sorts of things and give the power of the state and, 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 and health industries to make all sorts of changes on us, um, you know, without our cons consent and without really uh, people being able to like have a say in it. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I think sometimes it gets framed as just like, Oh, it's just ideology. Like it's just, ideas and and i'm that aspect of it i do think is is actually really dangerous and important but it's also i mean if you're worried about any sort of pharmaceutical interventions right like um covid vaccines whether you're worried about them just flat out killing people making them sick affecting fertility all that kind of stuff you know or any other drug product that's coming out of the allopathic model, uh, antidepressants, right? Like that's I mean, all this stuff coming out about, well, oh, surprise, they don't actually fucking work. They just fuck people up, um, birth control, all of it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, like we're talking about very large, like increasingly large numbers of people like being permanently sterilized. Um, I mean, that's what happens. Like you can't just like pause puberty and then like unpause it later if you change your mind. Um, like we're creating like lifetime reliance on pharmaceuticals for these children. Um, and in some cases, you know, sterilizing them, um, mutilating them in a supposedly, you know, progressive um, developed country. Um, I think where we disagree and, and we'll probably have conversations, you know, at, at a later time. Andy, but like where I disagree on this issue is like, I don't think it's that like, oh, like at a certain point it became co-opted. Um, to me, I think 
even though I'm bringing up, you know, the sort of pedophilic um, patterns and the children, and obviously like when children are in, in, um, in the spotlight, like it, it gets people's attention and we have different ethical standards, right? Because children um, can't make their own decisions in the same way that adults can. But I mean, I just think the misogyny and like the homophobia and the transhumanism are baked into trans ideology, like regardless of whether we're talking about children or adults, um, which is where that's where we get taken off, off YouTube probably. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I don't know. TBD, I guess. Eduardo, do you have thoughts? I'm sure you do. <laughs> I do, just for it the end of this episode I think we opened up a whole different you know I I I wasn't a part of the discussion when you all had that conversation around trans humanism and the movement like I would I in, when I listened to that episode it made me wonder if I had actually examined my 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 stance on trans issues or other just issues around the stuff that you brought up just just now, like misogyny and homophobia and all of that. Like I have not sure if I just slipped right into the movement of the left of just accepting a lot of the things that I was told. And maybe I need to cross-examine some of the things that I stand for and see where I disagree with that stance or not, or 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 you know, have to examine. So this just makes me think about that. There's this there's this trans woman named I think her, she's a conservative Blair something Blair, do you know Jess? Well, she's she's a trans woman, but she's against having kids use these like uh, hormones. Well, a lot of adult you know people who consider themselves trans are like against <laughs> a lot yeah. of yeah. So anyhow, I, I feel like we're going way off topic, but I just want to say like there's a lot I think I need to I'd like to get prepared and start examining where my where where I'm at with this maybe I haven't delved into it and that's why I sent you a message if you remember Jess when Thank we you. do you remember after I listened to the episode I mm -hmm. said Jess you've made me think a lot about things that I have not really thought about and it's very provocative everything that episode that you all shared that I was not a part of I have to think about and uh, so anyhow, I just feel like this is not the, this, we're at the end of this. So I'm, I, that's all I can say about this, this moment. Uh, and then you touch on me too, as well with, with Andy. And, and I thought, okay, well, that's, I'm just, I'm just taking that in. I'm just yeah. taking that in because I have to really form my thoughts and I don't think I have the time and I don't like to feel pressured with time because I'd like to share a lot. So that's how yeah, I well, we can revisit it. And I think maybe just to like a closing thought, I think it's worth like even the the pharmaceutical stuff aside, like I think it's worth considering like what are the implications of a society that validates to children or to mm -hmm. anyone, right? This idea that like you can be born in the wrong body. Like that to me at its base is like an anti-human um, and very destructive ideology. Um, like I don't, I don't think that anybody can be born in the wrong body. I think that children's bodies are perfect. <laughs> um, so I think there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot more to discuss on that 
issue but yeah there's a lot that more. was what i yeah that's what i'm reading that's my hobby it's <laughs> <laughs> looking at pedo- pedo- what's happening in the uk what's happening in mexico what's happening in ukraine <laughs> well and and it's connected to the books you got from the whitney webb stuff around they haven't started they're just sitting there like looming <laughs> they're huge and they're not going to be a nice bedtime read well, I, I do hope we come back to this issue you're raising because I do appreciate how you bring another point of view and you make it clear where the lines are drawn. Like you're like, hey, Andy, I think I hear what you're saying here, but this is where we disagree because I, I think we'll have, we can have constructive discussions that way. Yeah, uh, this was an interesting episode. I think we shared from, from different points of view and different topics, something that I kind of wanted when we first did what's left and Andy said, no, that's not what we're doing. We're focusing on one topic. And there was this back and forth thing until I finally said, we're going to do it this way. When I was in Mexico, if you remember once, Andy, we talked about several topics. We talked about, I was in Mexico and we were filming, we were recording. And uh, and we did get a chance to do <coughs> this toss salad topic episode. But it feels strange suddenly because it's like, we're, we're not coherently following one line of if, to me, it feels that way. Well, I think for me, it was more interesting of what people are paying attention to. And I think you now have given me a real sense of the kind of lanes and alleyways you get into. You know, you and Eduardo, you're like the kinds of things you're looking at in Mexican politics. And Jess, Jessica, you brought up Julian Assange, but this area of sex orientation and how sexuality is being used as a weapon in, tra- in the transgender movement specifically. How you see it as a weapon being used against us, and so you're you're just looking into it. You just you keep kind of coming back to it to try to like investigate it and you know get a better understanding of this crime that you think is being committed. Thank you. I think we should. This is a good place to end this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that does it for this week's episode. What's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenge in the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, uh, iTunes podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, something, a different topic that you might suggest, contact us through our blog. Andy will likely be responding to those. Uh, I've been a little active on YouTube recently mm-hmm. trying to respond to people because I've been re-watching some of the shows so I've been enjoying some of the comments thank you very much people who comment and take the time oh and you can find our social media handles I'm sorry in the episode notes at Don Eduardo Barca and at DKE and at J and uh, Jessica's Twitter handle at jhomie89 and that does it for this week's episode thank you very much ciao bye bye bye